Welcome to the Little Red Podcast, which brings you China from beyond the Beijing Beltway. I'm Graham Smith from the Department of Pacific Affairs at the Australian National University, and I'm joined by my co-host Louisa Lim, former China correspondent for the BBC and NPR, now with the Centre for Advancing Journalism at Melbourne University. We're on air thanks to support from the Australian Centre for China in the World. Days, the Solomon Islands in the Pacific have been making the news. We've been seeing a lot of "will they, won't they" kind of headlines about if and when the Solomons might switch from recognizing Taiwan to backing China. There were only 17 nations left in the world that recognized the government of Taiwan. Six of them in the Pacific. When Solomon's Prime Minister Manasseh Sogavare was elected in April. He formed a coalition which had many pro-China MPs, and he vowed to review Solomon's external relations with Taiwan. Today, we're taking you inside the switch. I've been visiting the Solomon Islands, talking to people on all sides of the debate, including the Prime Minister himself. So, Graham, I mean, we're hearing now the Foreign Minister is in Taiwan at the moment, and there's been talk all week about this change, with a Reuters report declaring it all but a done deal. I mean, how much of a blow would it be for Taiwan? Yeah, it'd be a, it'd be a huge blow because I mean, as you said, one third of Taiwan's allies are in the Pacific. Taiwan these days likes to identify itself as a Pacific country, and the Solomon Islands is the largest of their Pacific allies. So there's this feeling: if Solomon's goes, the rest will fairly soon follow. Really. Deepening Taiwan's、uh, already fairly advanced diplomatic isolation, and when I spoke with the Prime Minister Sogavari in July, he explained the moral case for sticking with Taiwan, but also his huge frustrations with Taiwan, which dated back many years to、uh, Ramsey,、uh, the regional assistance mission to the Solomon Islands, which was a, a policing mission to stabilise the country that was led by Australia. Let's、uh, hear what he had to say. And to be honest, when it comes to Uh, economics and politics, Taiwan is completely useless to us.、Uh, I sent 40 police officers to go and train in Taiwan in 2006. That's when、uh, Ramsey is already in this country. <laughs> and you know what Australia did? The Foreign Affairs Minister himself went to Taiwan and said, "Stop the training. That area is ours. Don't train them. Police training is ours." And so they they stopped that. So, so what I'm saying is that, and if, if this was China. They wouldn't give a damn to Alexander Downer if he goes、yeah. there and says, "You stop."、Uh, there was get the hell out of here.、Yeah. This is a sovereign decision made by a sovereign government,、mm-hmm. and we can enter into a, you know, military arrangements and ever get、uh, China to help us to establish a, a military force. You can't do that with Taiwan.、Mm-hmm. So, in terms of economic and, and political, geopolitical, we cannot flex our muscles.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're completely useless to us in that sense.、Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're facing a lot of pressure from your MPs to, or some of your MPs, to switch to China. I mean, what do you think would be the benefits of of switching to China? Take、uh, Fiji, for example. Yeah, yeah they can flex their muscle, and、uh, you、uh, behave yourself. I have another friend here. <laughs> so, so that's one. And of course, there is this perceived、uh, view as well that they're, oh, they're doing great in other countries. Roads in、uh, Papua New Guinea, Vanuatu. My colleagues who are touring the The regions are just basically sending back, uh, uh, you know, signals and so. Let's go, let's go. We've seen it all.、Yeah. It is happening here. Since year 2000, when I became prime minister, you know, I've expressed a lot to Taiwan and and, and said to them, you know, please 
let's, let's invest in Solomon Islands, don't invest in politicians, political governments. And that, that's what has been happening. And that, that's how they will hang on to a country. But they said no. So we asked them, please come and uh, put one more or two more downstream uh, well, uh, shore-based facilities for tuna instead of, uh, uh, you know, like catching uh, our tunas here and uh, send them to uh, Thailand, and that is where they, they canned them. Uh, last calculations was that uh, nearly $2 billion worth of uh, value, and if you look at the employments and, and that, it, it, it usually go up to about $2 billion worth of uh, tuna uh, that we give to them. So we are actually net lenders to them. Uh, they gave us $100 million every year. Maybe your colleagues aren't feeding this back to you, but, but I mean, looking at other countries in the Pacific, what, what do you see as the potential risks of uh, switching to China? We are hearing, we, we read and, and we, we hear things. And in Tonga, for example, I, Prime Minister Pohiva had quite a talk and he said, well, we, we really need to rethink <laughs> because he said uh, these people are, are here and they, they are now planting cassavas and uh, sending things in the market and, and uh, intruding into uh, people's land. And, and, and that, that, that would be really quite sensitive if that happened in Solomon Islands. We just collapsed in year 2000 because ourselves, not other people outside Solomon Islands, intrude into other people's land. But just imagine if uh, other people from other countries are here and uh, intruding into other people's land. You, you could see another tension again. So that's the, the kind of risk uh, we hear that, uh, you know, what was given this as grants eventually became loan and the uh, you know, countries were caught up and so assets need to be held. Uh, and uh, if there's any consolations, we, we are late comers in this thing. Yeah. <laughs> and so if we're pushed to that corner, I think uh, we'll have you know, come up with uh, uh, safeguards that uh, we are not repeating. I mean, one thing that really struck me when I arrived was just a row of Chinese shops, like just yeah. uh, uh, kilometers of Chinese yeah. shops. Uh, so in some ways it seems this encroachment has already happened. Uh, they're, they're already here. They're already here. Now there's very few Taiwanese uh, yeah. in, this, in this country. I, I mean, do you think this is an, this is an issue to address? Because, yeah. It is, and I think that's, it will become an issue when some decisions will have to be taken because people are already talking. And then it's interesting, come from uh, ordinary Solomon Islanders. You see them writing in newspapers and they say, oh, no, 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 look, let's not go down the, the, that path. But it will be very interesting when you start to uh, give them, well, this is what we will get if we switch. It will be very interesting as well what will be the, what will be the response. So, yes, people are already concerned. All right, Prime Minister, thanks for joining us. Thank you. That was Solomon's PM, Manasse Sugavare. Now, Graham, you say that he's an ally of Taiwan, but he really doesn't sound much like it. Yeah, I mean, he, he definitely went to town on his frustrations uh, with his Taiwanese friends, which uh, I'd say run fairly deep. Um, but yeah, he's very much in the in the Taiwan camp. And when I talked to him, uh, he very much saw backing Taiwan as a, a bit of a last stand for democracy. And he likened it to uh, their continuous or ongoing backing of West Papua, which is an even less popular uh, diplomatic cause at the UN. Uh, so he is a friend of Taiwan, but you have to wonder if that's what Taiwan's friends like. I mean, what are their enemies saying? And whether or not they switch uh, isn't up to him. It's up to the 50 MPs. And another influential MP I talked to uh, was a guy called Peter Kenaloria Jr., who heads the Foreign Relations Committee. And he's also the son of Solomon Island's first prime minister. And when we spoke, uh, I started by asking him what would be the downside of switching to China? Well, development doesn't come cheap. It's, it's uh, usually not grants. 
Uh, they usually come in the form of loans. We don't want to be tied into debt, uh, particularly to one country. So that is that is an issue that um, we should be weary of. We can all go crazy with our infrastructure needs, and those needs are quite clear you know, in terms of a country like Solomon's. Our governance structures, I think, need to be uh, a bit more strengthened. Um, and, and there are certain capacities that we need to, to have in order to deal with this, uh, this kind of powerful partner, knowing full well that the China of today is not the China of three years ago or even you know, two years ago, um, definitely not 20 years ago when, when most of the Pacific were <clears throat> recognizing them. What would be some of the things you're thinking of there? Yeah, so for me personally, um, things like the, the, the shift towards the path that they were taking with economic development, democracy would be more of a thing that would come in uh, as well, you know, in terms of along with that, uh, almost an embrace, perhaps partial, of capitalism. Democracy is usually the one that helps with that kind of a uh, growth. That, that, that's been the assumption, yes. That's been the <laughs> assumption. Uh, but of course, they've, they're, they're, they're ones uh, to, to bend that rule uh, and quite successfully, you know, in terms of how they've done it. But then the recent actions uh, by, you know, giving back the, the term of the president um, to become quite open rather than uh, one that is, you know, set with terms uh, as, as any, any democracy would have. That for me personally, you know, in, in someone who believes in the, in the de- democratic system, and the idea of the people um, having a more choice into how a country should be run. Uh, I'm getting a bit weary about that. The recent actions in terms of persecution, certain religions uh, that are practicing in, in China, those are issues that I concern me, you know, in terms of uh, someone who, who upholds those principles of, of democracy and uh, respect for human rights. Uh, and these are the issues that I thought that uh, even our our leaders who did make that decision perhaps thought about you know, when they did go with, with Taiwan the early days. And I don't think that we should uh, easily overlook those things. Um, and these are the more fundamental values that, that we share with Taiwan that, that are beyond perhaps the infrastructure uh, that you see. And it's hard sell for many in the Solomons to, to see that. Everyone's just looking for that bridge or that road very transactional, if you like to call it that. But uh, for somebody like myself, and I perhaps I'm in the minority, who, who perhaps look beyond just the hard infrastructure and look towards more higher ideals and values that, that we share, and seeing China starting to perhaps move away from that is a concern to me. Uh, I'm a Christian myself, uh, and uh, persecution of Christians, you know, if, if that starts to become an issue, uh, then a Christian country like Solomon should uh, really make uh, decisions based on those considerations as well. Are there Chinese interests rather than Solomon Islands' interests who are speaking for China? I think my impression is that there are Solomon Islanders doing the bidding for some Chinese interests, whether that be business uh, or personal or otherwise. But uh, for me, that is my observation in terms of the desperation that comes with it, you know, in terms of let's do it now, it has to be now, you know. Uh, so it's like, uh, we're we a sovereign nation. These sort of things we can decide on. Uh, the desperation uh, makes me nervous as to why are certain individuals so desperate, especially now, uh, that we should do this now. The more I hear it, the more I'm convinced that there are interests behind the current dialogue or discussions that we're having you know, on this particular issue, that there are certain interests behind a, a switch now, which, which to me is, is, is something that we shouldn't uh, fall into in terms of that particular trap. Because I think our negotiations are, 
our, our standing would, would not be as powerful. We, we know that we're already a, a small nation uh, and, and, and quite uh, economically weak as well. Uh, coming uh, and having relations with a very dominant country. And the way they do things uh, with my experience is very different uh, in terms of how they they operate. And that's something that Solomon Islands has an experience with the partners that we've had already. This is a different step that we're taking uh, with a very powerful country that's looking to get even more powerful. Uh, so these sort of things are things that uh, we should know going in and uh, to go in already weak and then even weaker is, is not the way to do it. You know, we should stand our ground a bit and uh, come in with with some sense of uh, pride rather than uh, begging for a switch. One thing I've observed elsewhere in the Pacific is a lot of China's aid and China's diplomacy is driven not by the diplomats and not by aid officials, but it's driven by uh, the companies. Have you seen them playing a role around town? They're here. Um, those interests are definitely on the ground. Uh, they're starting to bid as well in terms of our construction and uh, outbidding some of our locals and even international construction uh, companies to to get these tenders uh, to build. Uh, so they're already uh, here on the ground and uh, quite active. And yes, knowing how China uh, operates through these intermediaries, their companies and the state-owned enterprise uh, entities is, is something that they're, they're well known uh, even before it gets to Beijing. And that's a whole different um, level again with the party. The, that's issues and uh, things and facts that many Solomon Islanders are not aware of in terms of how things actually happen which is a bit different from our partners that we've been dealing with. Uh, and those are, those are issues that I really feel that we should be at least uh, aware of. This is definitely no Taiwan that we're dealing with. This wasn't something people went to the election with. If you don't bring in a wider range of views and canvas people yes. from beyond the parliament, could this even lead to unrest in Honiara, given there's you know, some, some track record here? <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, people's emotions are one thing. And of course, Honiara it doesn't represent the Solomons. Mm. I mean, Honiara itself is its own kind of atmosphere. Uh, and, and what it does is a bit different from what happens in the rural areas. But it is a good uh, barometer you know, in terms of the whole country. But the particular question on, on emotions is, is one that is real. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, Honiara is known uh, for, for doing certain things when a certain group of people, or a lot of them are sometimes a minority, uh, are so vocal, are so strong about something that they turn those into action. Yeah. So for this one, I think for the Taiwan you know, and the, the China, the issue of loyalty comes into play. Uh, the Solomon Islanders are very known for their loyalty. Once they are loyal to you, then um, it's culturally a negative to to break that loyalty you know when you, you have a friend that's been with you for uh, 30 years now plus and uh, and then you just leave that friend uh, to find another one you know that sort of thing uh, is, is, is is one that actually can can get emotions charged so so since it does look like they'd come down to MPs I mean what's your sense do you think it's going to happen or not well I think um, the longer it's taking the the more I think it won't happen I think if it was going to happen, it should have happened already uh, with the executive side um, making the decision. Um, but the fact that it hasn't happened already shows that the executive is not, is not together uh, on this issue. Uh, and it, uh, it might threaten the solidarity of the grouping. Uh, that is why it's been stretched out. 
this long. Isn't it a little bit, use that word again, instrumental that the US is suddenly back and, and, and wanting oh, yes. to be the friend of the Solomon yes. Islands after yes. so many decades after of so many decades not and being after leaving uh, and literally leaving their stuff behind. Leaving I mean. their stuff behind <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and in, in a way leaving their, uh, the embassy, because they used to have an embassy uh, here that, that they, at the end of the 80s or mid 90s that they also shipped out uh, and uh, now uh, we have an, an ambassador in, in Moresby that looks after uh, Solomon's as well from there. But uh, the idea of having an engaged USA uh, is something that uh, I for one am very mindful of because I think having them here and then if China did come on board then the two of them would be here uh, and, then, and then at least there is some sense of uh, checking the other uh, here on the ground that would you know, help a country like ours who are, who are perhaps not equipped to deal with uh, either. <laughs> yes. yes, and I, I guess that's my final question. I mean, yeah. do, do you think the Solomon Islands is ready for China? No, I think that's the thing. Um, I think, you know, if, if, if the question be asked uh, to join the, the China train now, uh, where we are. The, the express train of the development. Express, the express train that's coming through, the BRI and everything. Uh, there, I think, I think, you know, if you think about it, which country is ready to, to join? Of course, we look forward to development, and that's something that we welcome. Uh, but just a, a very dominant China, uh, pretty much bossing us around uh, in our own, <laughs> in our own space, uh, is, is something that we don't we don't want to see uh, happen. And I, for one, um, uh, feel that we are perhaps not ready yet uh, for that. And the desperation of why now is what I'm really questioning. Why now? I mean. Mm. Let's prepare for it. Uh, let's prepare for this uh, when it does happen. Uh, that that uh, we are well equipped uh, to deal with a China that is is growing in, in every sense of the word, uh, and um, a China that is a partner that I don't think Solomon Islands has experienced anything like that uh, yet. You know, in terms of uh, uh, a diplomatic ally or a bilateral partner, if you want to call it that, because all the ones that we've had, uh, uh, we know and we know how they work and operate. Uh, but the China is something that is still an unknown uh, for us. We can only glimpse elements of how they do things. Uh, I, for one, can just look at their, their compound in New York, uh, where, where all, their, all their staff uh, are housed. Uh, and you, you say, oh, wow, these guys operate quite differently from all of us who come here in New York and uh, uh, live quite openly and, you know, in an integrated manner uh, with the rest of New Yorkers and that sort of thing. But uh, you have a country that's very much uh, confining all their staff into a space. And there, what does that reflect, you know, in terms of uh, different culture of doing things, uh, different way of doing things? And those are the things that perhaps uh, we should be more aware of and then, and then uh, strengthen ourselves before engaging uh, more fully. That was Peter Kenaloria Jr., who heads the Foreign Relations Committee, that will recommend whether or not to switch. So, Graham, how does this committee stack up? Are there more pro-China or pro-Taiwan people on it? Um, yeah, look, it's very complicated because it's got to be probably the most drawn-out diplomatic switch in the history of China-Taiwan relations uh, because this Foreign Relations Committee, which sat last week, was uh, sort of a public hearing. So you had voices from civil society, um, you had voices 
voices from academia. You had a, a range of people getting up and sharing their views. But on top of that, you had a, a Solomon Islands task force that went out to all of the countries in the Pacific that recognised China, uh, went to Taiwan, went to China, and that was very much stacked with pro-China MPs and, um, you know, has... has in many ways come become a little bit of a laughing stock among among the Solomon Islands public and on top of that uh, the foreign affairs department is writing their own report so there are three different uh, sort of sets of recommendations that parliament has to consider and so what happens at the end do they vote on it uh, it looks it will come down to the 50 MPs. So Parliament is sitting and the complicating thing for Parliament sitting this week is that not all the MPs are around. Um, for example, the Foreign Affairs Minister is over in Taiwan at the moment uh, and quite a few of the others are out of town. So it's not entirely clear when the vote will happen. The people on the pro-China side are extremely anxious to hold the vote as soon as possible because the Prime Minister is heading off to the UN General Assembly at the end of the month. And that, of course, is held in the US. And there's a concern among the pro-China people that, uh, if you like, Donald Trump will make him a deal that is too good to refuse. So uh, there's there's a lot of back po- background politics going on. It's It's a lot more complicated than it sounds from the news reporting that I've been seeing. Um, and you also did some digging about the backstory, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, you know, Taiwan has been really uh, solid with Solomon Islands for a long time. And part of the reason is because they came up with this uh, scheme called the Rural Constituency Development Funds, which essentially is money that goes into the pockets of the MPs and has basically become, uh, Taiwan didn't have much to do with it, but it's become this huge vote buying scheme. And at present, fully 70% of Taiwanese aid money to the Solomon Islands goes straight into these funds, which then more or less go straight into the pockets of every MP in the Solomon Islands. That's all 50 MPs. Uh, when I met with Ruth Lilagula, the head of Transparency International Solomon Islands, she explained to me how this scheme works. Uh, it's only a small minority of Solomon Islanders or people in the constituency that benefit from this uh constituency development fund because when you really look deep at it it is buying votes it's been spent on outboard motors but this is for uh, political supporters and their voters plus their cronies and they do know who votes for them because our electoral commission uh, office is corrupt that they actually give them the list of who voted for who so this is right down to the person, or do they do this kind of ward by ward? No, it's right down to the person. In the previous parliament, when people go to ask for help, there's a list outside the door of the member of parliament to tell them that those are the ones that they are going to pay for and that, you know, if your name is not on the list, don't bother to go there. Mm. So they do have a list of the voters that voted for them, and it's not difficult to find out exactly who voted for you. They use church leaders sometimes, and they use chiefs sometimes to go around and discuss with them and their own political supporters through the provision of roofing irons, then go around to buy more votes, asking them, do you need a roofing iron for your house? And if the non-supporter says, yes, I do, he will be required to sign a receipt 
to say that they will vote for the member of parliament. And that, that scheme works by way of the member giving roping iron to the husband, to the wife, as if they live in different house, and to the children. It's a scheme for election rigging. So when the votes are counted, they know exactly. And the, the pastors go around to pray, and they, they go around with a receipt book. So how did Taiwan get caught up in this effectively vote-buying scheme? How, how, how did Taiwanese aid end up being used for this purpose? Well, it's been used for, for this purpose because it's part of the constituency development fund. It's all in one basket. And the members of parliament are, are free to spend it whichever way. We talked to more than 40 constituency, and we noticed in the last election that some members of parliament, former members of parliament, did not campaign at all. They took their supporters to secluded places and campaigned there. Nobody else is allowed and nobody knows. They don't carry out any public campaign except for in the provincial centres, if their costume falls within that. But otherwise, they hardly do any campaign, but they're still winning. That was Ruth Lilligula of Transparency International. So basically what we heard from her is that the majority of these Taiwanese funds are going straight into a vote-buying scheme. When I was in the Solomon Islands, I had the chance to catch up with the Taiwanese deputy head of mission, Oliver Liao, and asked him why Taiwan was allowing its funds to be used in a scheme which looks like a vehicle for corruption. First of all, on the part of your remarks that we get to be uh, blamed for uh, or to bear the brunt for, for this uh, controversial issue here, our current contribution to Solomon Islands CDF scheme only accounts for about one-fifth of the entire uh, funding that the government provides to every constituencies. Over the years, I think uh, we've been allowing quite a lot of flexibility for MPs uh, to choose uh, what uh, project they are going to utilize our funding support for. So actually, I don't quite agree that a lot of people blame Taiwan because we also hear a lot of recognition and uh, a lot of people also uh, commend Taiwan for our contribution to the rural development. So that's an area that I I cannot uh, quite agree with your remark. Uh, But I do uh, recognize and agree that uh, we do get some blame. But if I could push a little bit further on that, that's $70 million a year um, of your aid money that's that's basically spent on things that you don't control. Um, So if you had your time again, what would Taiwan rather see that $70 million going towards? We have to recognize the fact that uh, Solomon Island, until today, is uh, still a uh, less development country, and there are so much need in the rural area. So I think the flexibility that we allowed in in the uh, CDF scheme actually also helped the rural people in many different aspects. The MPs actually helped the local people to uh, utilize their funding support for water and sanitation, or uh, they buy the roofing iron uh, to help local people build permanent houses. And these are something that I think they are also equally important in terms of helping Solomon Island achieve what many people would prefer to to call a more tangible result. 
But I think uh, in the future, since we've already done quite a lot in that area, perhaps in the future, if uh, with the cooperation and the consent from the Solomon Island government, there is a possibility that we can redirect uh, the funding support to other areas. So Taiwan's been handing out basically free money for MPs, but China's dangling the promise of these huge development projects as a sweetener. I mean, what's the sentiment like on the ground? Do local people want to shift to China or are they happy with Taiwan? Look, um, I was hard pressed to find any uh, ordinary local Solomon Islanders uh, who wanted to shift to China. Uh, there was no shortage of, of reasonably wealthy business people and MPs who were on side. Um, but amongst ordinary um, Solomon Islanders, the, the, the sentiment was very much a mixture between why would you switch to China? Because the Chinese have already taken over the Solomon Islands. Um, and why on earth are you spending so much time and so much money on this issue when we have so many pressing development problems in Solomon Islands? And in the last week, China amazingly has agreed to match these funds, at least for a certain period of time. So they're going to give the cash to the MPs possibly with a bit more oversight, which is something that they never do. So they obviously really, really want Solomon Islands to switch. But no one wants the switch to happen. Even the Chinese shopkeepers in Honiara don't want the switch to happen. Those who are on the pro side, the MPs who I talked to, who are very reluctant to have me turn on the tape, they cited development, uh, frustration with the lack of development over the last 40 years in Solomon Islands the possibility that China would bring these big infrastructure projects and also expand Solomon Islands' trade with uh, China beyond just shipping logs. So at the moment, China is their biggest export destination, but nearly all of that is unprocessed timber. If you couldn't get a pro-China voice on tape, I mean, who is doing the lobbying for China anyway? Louisa, that's a, that's a really interesting question. And it um, was one of those things I was trying to get to the bottom of. You, you have a lot of these kind of united front type operations pushing for China, uh, the usual sort of Solomon Islands, China Friendship Association sorts of organisations. But the most effective lobbying and certainly the most direct lobbying has been done um, by a Chinese company called China Civil Engineering Construction Corporation. And what happened, and I've got this from a variety of sources, um, from advisors and also from the public hearings themselves last week, that this company's regional director flew out from Vanuatu to the Solomon Islands, had a meeting with the Prime Minister and offered half a billion dollars in loans and grants under the unspoken condition, you know what you need to do to make this happen, Prime Minister. Uh, so quite an extraordinary piece of economic statecraft on the part of a state-owned enterprise. I mean, from what you've been saying, there's quite a lot of resistance on the ground. And I understand that one um, group of people who aren't that happy are journalists who are worrying about media freedom. I mean, tell me about that. It wasn't something I went to Solomon's expecting to hear about uh, because it doesn't seem an obvious thing that would happen if you just make a diplomatic switch. It was raised first by um, Ruth Lilagula from Transparency International who talked about the experience of people in Fiji who felt that China's presence there was really reducing the media space. Uh, and it was also raised uh, quite separately by Eddie Osofello from the second largest newspaper in Solomon Islands, the Island Sun. And he raised concerns about media freedom that um, really surprised me. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm also concerned and also the media season. The umbrella, umbrella body has already raised a concern in the media towards the government, like 
Uh, we also fear of the Swiss because of the China communist rule. Mm. Yeah, they can, they can surprise the media. So we already made a stand. Mm. Yeah, the media station, which represent the whole media mm. in Solomon Islands. So mm. if the government make a decision on, on the Swiss to China, mm-hmm. I think like there's a high possibility of a media outcry. Yeah, because here in Solomon Islands, the police want to discourage the, the public protest because this can lead to other issues as well, like the looting and people taking advantage of the situation. So so you think that's possible if the switch happens, that there will be some unrest? I think so, yeah. I think mm. so. Mm. And is that because it wasn't taken to the election, or the, why would people be so yeah, upset? Yeah, maybe it can, lead, it can lead into that as well, because like we already see in, uh, saw in the election where uh, people blame the Chinese influence mm. here in the politics. So maybe it can lead, like, it, it's like it's like now at the moment it's like it's just coward, you know. So it can it can resurrect again, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. so you're referring to the the riots in 2006 that that even saw now, even yeah. the recent riot. Yeah, they so still blame the Chinese. Yeah. Mm. I mean, what are your your concerns if if there's a full switch? What consequences can you see? I think like the Chinese will dominate. Like we are afraid of a lot of Chinese coming in to run businesses. Mm. Yeah, like they will dominate. You know, now as as now they're doing mm. with shops with businesses. So. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be open a lot of influence of Chinese influence in Song Islands. Mm. Yeah, maybe in every sectors we don't know. That was Eddie Osafello from the Island Sun. So Graham, I mean, what's going to happen? Is this switch happening or is it not happening? Look, I've I've uh, I've made a bet with one of my colleagues, uh, Jonathan Pryke from the Lowy Institute, that it won't happen. Uh, and the sentiment amongst a lot of people, particularly journalists, is the longer this is drawn out, the less likely that it is to happen. But the PM, although he's pro-Taiwan, can't come down really hard on their side because if he does, uh, his coalition, which is extremely tenuous, I mean, Solomon Island's political system is so fractured that uh, you even have people from the same party sitting in opposition um, and sitting in government, which, you know, aside from in Britain, you don't see very often. Uh, now, 16 MPs recently came came out and pledged their allegiance to Taiwan. Uh, even an MP who had been pro-China during the election campaign, a former Prime Minister called Rick Ho, has now switched across to Taiwan. And events in Hong Kong certainly will not be helping uh, China's cause at all. So if I was to bet, I would bet on Taiwan, oddly enough, going against all the media reporting. There's so much media reporting, though, that it seems to suggest that the switch is inevitable. What, I mean, why do you think that is then? Well, certainly before I went to Solomon Islands, I I was also of that belief. Uh, And I still wouldn't rule it out entirely. I think, um, you know, China does have some uh, pretty amazing resources. There are some extremely pro-China MPs in the mix who are not going to go away anytime soon. You know, it's just a feeling of gravity almost. There are only 17 left. Surely, uh, you know, you can't go against the force of gravity. But there are all sorts of really interesting local um, things playing into it. And I I just don't think it's as simple as as going with the flow. I think Solomon's might uh, buck the trend, at least for now. So even if they decide not to switch now, they may switch in future. This may not be over yet. 
Oh, no, I don't think it'll be over yet because uh, the MPs who are, who are pro-China are really pro-China. Uh, there's a block of MPs from the two main islands, the most populous islands, who are very strong pro-China supporters. So if it doesn't happen under Sogavari's administration, uh, it may well uh, come through under another administration because it really is going to come down to uh, a handful of votes of people who, who don't seem to have a strong feeling either way. And uh, it's, it's going to come down to those swinging voters. So it's only a matter of time. It is only a matter of time, but um, there's also a lot of people in Taiwan's corner these days that weren't there 10 years ago. So you have America, you have Japan, um, more quietly you have Australia and New Zealand who are basically, um, I think, in the background offering to match whatever China is going to offer. Oh, Graham, I'm so interested in the fact that you seem to think that it won't happen From my perspective, it would seem really hard for a country like the Solomon Islands to buck the trend. I think I'd be willing to put money, maybe even a bottle of champagne. I think the Solomon Islands will switch by National Day as a 70th birthday gift um, to mark the founding of the People's Republic of China. Look, I, I, I could well be wrong, uh, and um, I'm sure there are plenty of MPs in Solomon's who are, who are, who are backing uh, your bottle of champagne. Um, but it's just something in my gut that uh, says that this has been dragged out for so long. If it was going to happen, I just feel it, it would have happened by now. So uh, I'm absolutely on for that bet. <laughs> OK, great. You've been listening to the Little Red Podcast, bringing you China from beyond the Beijing Beltway. A special thank you to all the people who took the time to talk with us, especially the Honourable Manasseh Sogavari, Prime Minister of the Solomon Islands. Thanks also to my research partner, Tarsisius Kaputalaka from the University of Hawaii, and to Manu Mayan, Derek Futeasi, and Transform Angora for the help on the ground in Honiara. We're on air thanks to support from the Australian Centre on China in the World and the ANU's Department of Pacific Affairs. Editing was by Andy Hazel, background music by Susie Wilkins, and our cartoons and gifts are courtesy of Seb Danter. Bye for now.